hundred percent be a lot of that. It is, uh, it's a transition process. But uh, yeah, wait, wait until you get to uh, toilet draining. That's then you find yeah. lumps of shit next to the bin. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Hearing you guys talk, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy here just chilling out my dogs. <laughs> yeah, at least you know people don't look at you funny when you're picking up dog shit in the street. <laughs> Salutations once again, friends. Tis I, the captain of this here nostalgia ship, or as I call it, reeling in your ears. Uh, so buckle up, even though ships don't have seatbelts, uh, as we embark on another journey through time. To join me, as always, on this Valentine's weekend, the man who is more than words, a careless whisper, he's truly madly deeply my co-host. It's Simon Javik. Hey, Kieran, how you getting on? Not too bad. It's really hard to fit love songs in there, or even think <laughs> of love songs. <laughs> Well, I appreciate your efforts. Who would I rather spend my pre-Valentine's Friday with than, see, than you and our esteemed guest? See, there, there you have it. And I mean, at the end of the day, I have to draw the line that when I was like, I couldn't say, you know, when he's here, love is all around. That's a bit on the nose. And then I was like, could I just say things get wet, wet, wet? But no. Um, <laughs> and, um, I said it out. There you said it out. It's out there now. I can't take it back. Um, and as you alluded to, a huge welcome back to our guest, our esteemed guest this week, uh, Mr. Alex J. Byrne. Hey guys, thank you very much for having me back. Looking forward to it. And a little spoiler for the show, as you said there, we will learn this week that ships, in fact, do not have seatbelts on today's show. <laughs> yes, actually, that's very, very apt. Um, and we are, of course, discussing the year 2003. And to open up this year, the governor himself, Arnold Schwarzenegger, says, Hello, Ireland, as this year we're hosting the Special Olympics. If I'm right in saying it, I couldn't look it up, but if memory serves me correctly, I think this was the first time ever the Special Olympics was hosted outside of the US of A. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the, um, I remember the, and we, we actually still had these road signs for years because every, you know, they say towns and villages hosted different countries. Uh, Waterford hosted Jamaica. Um, I remember that much. Do you guys remember, like, did, you know, seeing the signs or did you host a particular yes. country? Yeah, I, um, I'm from Lucan in uh, Dublin and we actually hosted Ireland. Oh, yeah, fair enough. So, How did you swing that I, one? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just remember calling going, oh word okay cool but like, i remember so- this <laughs> i was just gonna say i kind of remember this because i know when we reviewed kind of you know episodes in the 60s it was like oh yeah this type of stuff but kind of when i watched 2002 and for the last episode i watched 2003 i was sitting here going yeah i remember this i remember we were kind of in school and the athletes were driving by and we were all you know, clapping and saying yeah go on guys go get him and i was like yeah i i, I didn't remember that in like years and then i was like oh yeah we did that yeah, it was. It was great. Like it was, and you, you're right, Karen. Like you passed so many of those signs. I think there was 177. I read uh, there the oh. town, cities, and villages that each hosted a country uh, or like a delegation. That was like that was pretty awesome. I think this is like this is unbelievable. Like of all the, the things we've seen in these uh, over the years of these uh, of this show, we're just um, it's amazing to think that like this is probably the most pure thing we've seen. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. it's 19 years ago, so I think it's fair to say that, you know, no one is going to commit. Well, maybe it's not too late to, that there'll be a whistleblower saying there was mass corruption. But at the minute, it you know, it's 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 all very wholesome. Everyone banded together, the whole country, like because it was obviously a lot of the games are in Dublin, but um, a lot of the events and stuff. But um, 
the and some in Belfast, but the like the whole country hosted people as far out as the Aran Islands, which was uh, which is like amazing. And as you said, Kieran, the first time it was ever not in America, so like that's it was a huge achievement to have it here. And uh, like yeah. you see the caliber of people like Nelson Mandela uh, opening the 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 games alongside Mary McAleese, like it's it was yeah. a pretty big deal. And we also see Muhammad Ali as well. Actually, he's kind of very recognizable, but um, we did yeah. saw him saw him there in the little. <laughs> I um, remember like very distinctly this because as I said Waterford hosted Jamaica and our school did uh, like a no uniform day but you had to come dressed in Jamaican colours so uh, wearing uh, green and yellow um, and I remember like getting oh god I even remember now wearing like green khaki pants and a yellow t-shirt and I came home from school teacher had said um oh yeah the the jamaican athletes are staying in the with student accommodation you should go down and uh you know go down and welcome them or whatever and we we're like yeah mm. cool, whatever and then i went down because i'd made a sign i was only like how old was i 11 uh and i'd made a sign and my mother was like you made the sign you dressed in the colors you're going um and <laughs> i went down and i was the only person as in like in the entire county of waterford aside from the staff of the hotel i was the only person there and uh like the local newspaper guy was there he was like i want to get a team photo but sure look you may as well stand in there um <laughs> that's why i like very distinctly remember the the, 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 the special <laughs> <laughs> oh it's amazing <laughs> And uh, this year, we also see the completion of the world's biggest heroin needle slash sundial, uh, the spire. Uh, there was no room for error here as we see the two men inside guide the top mm. half down. Um, mixed reactions as one woman calls it very expensive uh, street furniture. <laughs> I like that. The first woman was like, this is awful. But um, you know, shout out to the two guys in the spire. You know, people have to make sacrifices and, you know, they entune themselves in the spire to make sure that it got on properly. So, um. You know, if you actually walk by it enough, you can still hear. They're still fed, like they're still in there to this day. And I think that's the, I think that's the point. But I thought it was a bit on the nose. It's like we're going to put a big kind of structure to signify you've gone from the south side of town to the north side. What you, I don't know. Let's put a giant needle. It, it just it seems so out of place. Like I, I, okay, I understand its function as like a marker, as in you are here. But you hmm. know, other than that, I mean, it just. It, 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 it just it looks so out of place to me it's like you know you strain your neck looking up at the thing although it was nice of you to put a big hat on top of it so that the airplanes knew that they were flying over it yeah it's it's very notionsy like it's very like uh you know i don't think you put it up there now but i think in the early 2000s we were getting a bit carried away with ourselves and it was like oh this is going to be this great artistic uh you know landmark or whatever and it's just a big pole like i mean you know it's it's mm. it's it's grand um i suppose they probably weren't you know you were saying it's it was like you know kind of a meeting place and like a central point of the city but i suppose they weren't counting on google maps coming along like within a decade uh where people you know could just see where they were anyway so you didn't need a big spike um so you know i don't know it was just, it's just all a bit on the divided opinions are hilarious but i really like the l fellow who just goes it's great to be a dub uh, it's like yeah i'm sure it is jimmy but what do you think about Inspire. Yeah, he was loving his life. He didn't know what was going on. He was like, "Cameras, let's have a chat." He's like, what? I'm just old. in Dublin. I don't really care about anything else. What's going on? I love the old granny who was like, "Oh yeah, well you know, if you look at it there, you know, it kind of takes away from things about size and does a match." I'm like, "Oh jeez, look at this old granny Murphy and also Feng Shui." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The balance of the city is all off. That's it. And 
I, I think if I'm right in saying, I don't know whether this is the tabloid sensationalizing, but I remember a couple of years ago seeing a photo of like the spire when it first went up and the spire now, and it's like completely like tilted, like it's leaning towards one side. And they're predicting in a few years it's either going to just come down or it'll totally collapse and just kill everybody below. Which, oh, God, uh, imagine I fell. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Like, but uh, if that is true and it is tilting, I mean, I, I, I do have another decade before it. You know, before it needs to actually come down uh, and be replaced with something else, I vote for a massive statue of Roy Keane. Um, oh yeah, that would be my next uh, next guess. Um, but uh, up next, farmers are protesting again over farming incomes. Uh, how many years has it been that we've like you know been seeing farmers protesting? At least since the seventies. Conservative <laughs> estimate of the amount of episodes that contain a farmer's protest stands at 1,689. Uh, like, there's been a lot, <laughs> there's been a lot of protests. We see, I'd say we see one every five years, at oh, least, easily. on this show. Easily. That make the cut of the show. Like, I mean, I, like, I work in Dublin City Centre and there was tractors outside my, my office, I would say, two months ago. Yeah, it was about mm. that. Yeah, where they all they all drove up. And look, I got no problem with them protesting at all. I mean, it, like your man said in the clip, it's a democratic right. But like, it just brings and and he's like, oh, the people of Dublin were clapping us in. Pretty sure they probably weren't. That's it. bullshit. Yeah, they were. That's yeah, bullshit. <laughs> they, it is. They were probably just going, get off the fucking road, just keep fucking. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah they're probably beeping their horns. The people of Dublin don't like cultures at the best of times, like do you know what I mean. Let alone when they're coming in to block the roads up. Like I don't think any. Well, maybe one person. Like there was probably some people in Dublin who are from the country who were like, "Yes, boys, absolutely," you know. But I don't think I don't think your man. He said it was great to be a dub was standing out with the welcome flag, you know. <laughs> I think it was everyone in the dub who just going, "Yeah, go on, <laughs> go for it." But um, I think half the farmers weren't even involved in the process. What are you processing? I don't know, but you want to go up in a nice and dubs? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's <laughs> part of the. I think that's part of the appeal of these masks because no other industry like drives to Dublin. You know what I mean? In this yeah. big convoy, like even truckers. Well, truckers maybe did it once or twice. There was an unsanctioned trucker protest recently, oh, actually. Yes. Um, but but I never never in the numbers you get with the farmers. But they're just like it's just their thing. We're gonna drive up. We're gonna sit outside the doll, and we're gonna make cause havoc. Yeah. I'm not going to lie, though, as somebody who drives in all those tractors in town in this, I was sitting there going, Jesus, this is anxiety, like level 100 yeah. for me as somebody who drives. <laughs> like, imagine arriving in like an hour late for work. What is you so late for work, Alex? Look, you're not going to believe a boss, but there's a hundred tractors. It's funny you say that, Alex, right? Because I was, I was going into the office in town yesterday and I was 45 minutes late for work because a tractor had driven into the level crossing at the Marion oh. Gates. Uh, <laughs> So that was just a, a rogue actor. He obviously got the date of the protest wrong, but uh, he'd <laughs> take it out on the barrier there, going in Sandy Mountain, and then knock the dart, knock the dart out of commission. So I was, uh, I was a bit late for work, but yeah, that was. Uh, he got very topical. <laughs> he got the date wrong. He was nineteen years too late. <laughs> he was actually the there. Is... He was actually there for the one in nineteen sixty-seven where Nudie Charlie High was standing at the window. <laughs> I think my favorite thing though is I always like you, you know me from in a previous episodes. I love these guys that are like the characters you see been into it because there's always one person that just completely misses the point. And this was the farmer who sat who stood there and just like, yeah, you know, I, I don't think we've clouded the streets. <laughs> Why are clouding up the what? streets? There's literally a hundred tractors up there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, it, it's it's gas because like you know, like you say, no other industry does this, and they 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 drive to Dublin, and it, they it's because like they know that they're driving a slow, uh, big, imposing vehicle. Like, we are all fucked if the Tank Drivers Association ever go on strike. You know, if those <laughs> boys in the army just go, you know what, I've had enough, 
then there's nobody, everybody's going to be 45 days late to work. Um, and um, speaking of imposing vehicles, we also see the famine ship replica, the Jeannie Johnson, reach America because, you know, the first famine was such a hit. Um, the voyage took eight weeks and in true famine fashion, 7,000 people died. Um, I don't see the appeal of like, you know, let's just get a big famine ship and take it across the ocean. And even the captain was like, oh, she proved herself to me. We went through two storms. You would have been fine on like a Stenaline ferry. Like I was yeah, shitting bricks in an old rusty famine ship floating across the Atlantic, just bashing from side to side. I'd like to, and I like this whole thing of, ah, you know, once you got past the Canaries, we were fine. I like to think that that was the moon on the famine ships. Like, you know, Canary Islands, nearly there. Come on. Let's look. Come on. Everyone cheer up. <laughs> if, I, if I left, someone tell the captain we're going the wrong fucking way. Oh, well, I, I can't. What, what on earth did he say? Did he say Canary that I get that Irish voice? <laughs> no, he did say the Canaries. Did he? Oh, sorry. I yeah. thought I just, my geography was way off. I, no, I, was trying to no, I think the captain's geography was a bit off. I think they must... <laughs> I know, look, I know absolutely not that I've been sailing across the Atlantic, right? So don't just, don't come at me. Uh, any, any me, listening. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it seems to me, from my knowledge of it, that the Canaries is not in between. I am open to correct for that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm looking it up here. And um, I mean, right. So if you were to... You would first have to go south uh, and... Yeah, you would have to go south and then take a severe de- detour because even if you went south, you would end up like the top of Portugal. And like I'm looking at Canary Islands here, so he would have. Oh God, he went far, far south. Like yeah, I, I, you know, I'm thinking like I know when you think about the map, you don't really realize how like if you just went in a straight line from you yeah. know Cork, you hit Canada. You don't hit America. You, you in your mind, you have like I you just hit New York like in that Guinness ad, but you wouldn't, you know. Mm. You'd, uh, you'd hit Newfoundland or whatever, which is why they all sound Irish there. But I, I understand that, so he would have had to go a little south. But I just feel like the Canaries, was a, I feel like he just wants a bit of sun. Yeah, that's it. He was uh, he was like, do you know what? I've got two days annual leave. Uh, I didn't use them up last year. I'm using them up on the ship. I don't care if you want to embrace your culture over in the States. You're going to be, I'm late. Uh, well, yeah, I like what they don't tell you is the Yanks were expecting them in four weeks, but he decided to take eight. <laughs> And he was like, we took a dog careful till we got to the Canaries. And I'm like, yeah, dead right Absolutely. you did, Tom. We took yeah, it so yeah, careful, so... we went we went back and made sure we could do it again. Yeah, we actually took a week at Lanzarote, just to be sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah, we uh, we decided we'd go down to the Canaries, you know, because, um, because like, I just I just wanted to use up the rest of my holidays and, you know, I'll fuck the resty. And we, we actually got caught in the middle of a tropical storm. We had no business being in, uh, but we just said, fuck it, that looks like, that looks interesting. Yeah. All it, the lads uh, out there with their yachts and their speedboats. Oh, which one is yours, Tom? See that famine ship? <laughs> yeah, that's her. Yeah. Uh, did you, did you see the trail of <laughs> dead, starving Irish people that fell off the back of it? Yeah, that's me. Um, I don't, what I don't understand, like, this is so the Americans, like the, the famine porn, um, you know, these Irish Americans, they absolutely love a bit of talking mm. about how their ancestors suffered so they could oh, yeah. climb aboard the ship 100 with their top of the range cameras and expensive clothes and yeah. under and pretend to un- their ancestors traveled uh, to America you know it's kind of like ah come on although the woman they interviewed did look very Irish oh she did, she did didn't she oh, I looked and I was like when I heard the accent I was like oh they picked the most Irish Colleen looking women looking woman to, to interview just in case you know <laughs> and it's true because they do like love like kind of talk about that because I know from being in New Orleans before they had the Irish Museum I was like oh go and have a look at this it's literally just all about everybody dying during the famine 
yeah, like they always say, like in Irish history, when you look back on it, it's like you know, 800 AD whiskey was invented, and then literally nothing happened until the famine. Um, and uh, over this, and then we see them afterwards, uh, the thrills play one horse town. Where the fuck did they go? They were great, they hit the big time for this period, like oh, three. To, I don't know, 05 maybe, 06, I don't know. And then they just disappeared, didn't they? They just kind of, did they give up? Well, do you know what it was? Like, I remember actually when I was going on my holidays uh, at this time over, funnily enough, to the Canary Islands. And, oh, uh, I, <laughs> you and uh, Captain Tom. Me and Captain Tom. And, the <laughs> and uh, I went to the library at the time, uh, as you did at the time, and uh, hired hired some CDs with my library card. Um, and oh, yes. my Walkman uh, was this album. And it was great. But you know what I'd say happened now looking at them? is Snow Patrol came along and they were like, do you know what? These guys with floppy hair and guitars actually sound a bit better than the other guys with floppy hair and guitars. We'll go with this. Because they would have came out around the same time. But um, no, the thrills like with, with uh, One Horse Town and there was another song like Santa Cruz and a song Corey Haim. Yeah. Just... No, they they were big and they won a lot of awards in that year, 2003. Like they, I think they won a few like... Uh, um like NME awards or, or some of those, you know, kind of the more, um, ex- like, I don't know if accepted is the right word, but the more fashionable awards, like they weren't, it was, you know, it wasn't kind of the tacky ones. They were actually winning like, like the Mercury Prize or they were certainly nominated for the Mercury Prize, like, you know, awards that meant some, mean something, um, you know, and they were really well, well respected. What I liked about the thrills, because I, I, they're actually, they're from um, Black Rock, but they, uh, that when they initially formed or when the first two lads got together, the band that they formed was called the Cheating Housewives, uh, which is <laughs> hilarious because they lived in a, like a posh suburb of Dublin. So like there was definitely some realism in that name. Ah, well, you know what? I, I was looking at, I'm just looking at it there now. And um, so basically they got dropped by EMI, their record label in 2008. And after that, uh, the lead singer, Ben Carrigan, confirmed the thrills remain on indefinite hiatus. So um, hashtag bring back the thrills. That's yeah, if you're listening, guys, come on. Let's uh, let's get this show on the road. Let's, uh, let's get these guys back on board. Guys, thrills, if you're listening, we want to come to your first concert back. We want VIP passes, the works. Do you know what? Them and the Revs. Remember the Revs? There you go. The Revs. And Bewitched, if you're around. Ah, well, you know, Bewitched. Actually, they Bewitched are actually doing a reunion tour soon. Um, but no, the, the, the Thrills and, and, you know, the Revs. We can take them or leave them, but definitely the Thrills. Um, and, uh, oh, hey, look, another deadly virus. Remember SARS? Yes! <laughs> this was the uh, the OG, ah, it'll never happen to me, virus. Um, mm. but it's so weird seeing people wearing face masks this early. Yeah. Because it was like, you know, let's watch Reading in the Ears, you know, let's go a bit of escapism. Let's forget about the events of the past two years. And you're looking going, oh, yep, right, you. okay. And I, when you see your man putting on the mask, it's like, oh, look at this. It's like, oh, God, here we are. Yeah, yeah. this is, it's just so eerie. Like, it's so eerily similar because, like, SARS is really closely related to COVID. Like, the, the mm. virus, the, like, the, the SARS is caused by a coronavirus and the nearest relation to that is the coronavirus that causes COVID-19. So like it is really the forerunner of it. And like, it's so eerie to see like this happened before. And obviously, you know, it just, because it was contained in Asia for the most part, uh, nobody over here or anywhere in the West cared that much, to be honest. Um, But like, it just shows like it can happen. You know, it had... Obviously, what happened in the last two years is unprecedented, but it's not totally unprecedented. There was a miniature version of it. Yeah, because there was this, and then there was like bird flu, 
and that was kind of like you know oh my god mm. don't go near the pigeons and uh then the, yeah then there was covid um but it just like i think for like for years after that like we still and still to this day even before covid you would see like news footage from china or korea or hong kong or whatever about something happening and people are just walking around about their daily lives in face masks and you just got used to it and just associated asian countries with wearing a face mask um yeah and it, it looked a bit alien and here we are <laughs> and um up next um we did not copy your last uh, harrowing words as the columbia shuttle crashed to earth uh, as the craft disintegrated upon re-entry due to damage to the left wing uh, all who were mm. on board died um, I didn't realize until I looked into it. I thought, for some reason, had it in my head that rocket ships and you know the spaceships and what have you were like one and done. As in, you build it, it goes up, and then you like never see it again. But apparently, the Columbia was used like several times, and then it just so really happened, yeah. Then it just so happened on this venture, it unfortunately didn't end well. Yeah, that was the idea of the the space shuttles that it shuttled up yeah. and down, and you kept the core. I don't know other words, the core rocket, not the rocket, the rocket goes away, but the core part of it that they actually traveled in or, or came back in. And then, yeah, they rebuilt the rest of the bits, put it, put them together, sent it up again, you know, a year later or whatever. So yeah, the Columbia was, had, had got damaged way out that they couldn't diagnose. And then, um, and then, uh, uh, yeah, burned up on reentry, which is really sad. Yeah. What a horrifying way to go as well. Like, I mean, you hear, like, I suppose there's the famous one of, uh, Back from decades ago, of uh, I think it was there was a Russian astronaut coming into orbit, and they have like, the voice recorder and panicking, like oh, just yeah. even horrific to even think about. Yeah, they, there's there's a famous photo of um, uh, I, I don't even know the guy's name. He's a cosmonaut anyway, and he had no faith, like zero faith in the ship that the cosmonauts had built for him. Um, and he requested that when I die from this, I am to have an open casket and um. There's like a picture of like some Russian generals like looking at this man's open casket, and he ba- it's basically just a charred clump, um, because oh. he wanted them to see the damage that that you know, that this would do. Yeah. Um, and also, war is on the front of everyone's minds uh, as Saddam fails to comply with the UN, leading to the threat of invasion in Iraq. Colin Powell is dead sure that Saddam has weapons and is making more. Um, a 100,000 strong march against the war takes place in Dublin, while in Shannon there are more protests as it is being used as a stopover for planes heading to mm. Iraq. Uh, George W. announces that the U.S. And the company are getting ready to hit the ground running as we see gunfire and airstrikes in the Middle East. Uh, over 3,000 die in the first month alone as Tony Blair addresses the Iraqi people and we see the statue of Saddam fall. So a lot to take in there, but that was pretty much yeah, yeah. That was the, the culmination of everything that has happened since 2001, really. Um, it's been coming for a long time, but this was, this was it now. This was, it. this was our lives for the next couple of years then. Yeah, and like even like I know, like I said to you before the show started, I'll say here, like you know, we, we watch these shows, we like to poke fun and make jokes, but kind of watching all of this sequence for the last few minutes, I just thought down go, man, this episode is a serious, like this isn't like you know, the usual lighthearted stuff you'd associate with Raven in the years. Like, man, this was a this was a tough year. Yeah, and uh, obviously Saddam then goes on the run as eventually captured, uh, mm. hiding in a hole, looking disheveled. Um, the I'm kind of chuckling there because the the the, the video, the statue falling over, it, it's iconic. But 
Um, as the statue has been dragged, you can see people kind of whacking it. And um, what it is is they're hitting it with their shoes because in Middle Eastern culture, uh, some Middle Eastern cultures, it's um, if you dislike somebody, you you'd like like why that guy threw his shoes at George Bush because it's an insult yeah. basically to say you're not worth the foot, so I'll give you the shoe kind of. Um, mm. But when a friend, I remember a friend of mine telling me this story ages ago, and I thought it was the funniest thing. When this happened, um, you know, a couple of days later, he was sitting in class and a friend of his was sitting back on his chair. And when he fell off the chair in class, just instinctively, all the lads just got up, took off their shoes and started beating him with them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which even That's the visual amazing. in itself is just, it is, it, it's, it's hilarious. And actually, the, the, I know it's, it's it's not for another two years, but obviously Saddam was caught and, uh, you know, there's that iconic footage of him looking just absolutely scruffy. Um, but I remember yeah. 2005 when he was executed, um, I had set up a YouTube, uh, like, account to watch videos or whatever, but I'd set my date of birth to be over, you know, the age of 18 so that I could view, you know, all the stuff that, you know, needed, like, age restrictions, whatever. And because the, the, the YouTube and the internet and all that wasn't as strict as it is now, I suppose... Um, his video, the video of him being executed was on YouTube and you could only watch it mm. for over 18. And I remember like word got around that I had a YouTube account that was, you know, over 18 and everybody in school was like, give me your password, give me your details. And like not thinking about the way things you know, you, you do now. Jeez. I was like, yeah, sure. Go on, have the account. Yeah. And like, you know, it was like, it was like having a dirty magazine. Like, you know, everybody was <laughs> just the YouTube password. It really was the Wild West then, uh, like that early 2000s, like when we were teenagers, that that period of the internet where like, yeah, didn't, yeah, it really was like the Dirty Magazine, like it was just yeah. like, you know, obviously, you know, I, at that stage, uh, the, the whole porn, it took too long to actually download porn, so it wasn't necessarily that, but it was like that kind of stuff, snuff videos and, you know, uh, stuff that people really shouldn't be looking at, but it was just like, um was so uh ungoverned or unregulated then yeah yeah and you had all one of my earliest memories of the internet was just obviously youtube and stuff but i always remember there was this website called funny junk and then you'd always try and be in the computer labs and you used to watch it and had like all these videos like very kind of almost primitive videos of you know uh the internet now like oh look at this cat dancing oh my god yeah <laughs> god we didn't know how good we had it um, no, we didn't at all. Neither did the cat. Kurt Zuma came along and kicked it then. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's but, a very, um, very topical episode today, I gotta say. It is very topical. Yeah, I mean, like, it was kind of, it's managed to kind of what happened. Like, you know, as you said, the, the statue getting pulled down and stuff. And uh, yes, when you look back at Saddam, because you kind of, you remember this from when you're younger, because I think, like, that age, I know myself, kind of, you know, 2003 to and stuff like that. That's the age you kind of start realizing. Hang on, this stuff is happening, and this sh- this shouldn't be happening, type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I know. I know. Alex, you said it is very serious, and it certainly is a more serious part of this episode. But I did yeah. find two lighthearted parts to this whole uh, the whole the whole uh, images that we saw here. The first one hmm. was the Iraqi army's marching. Uh, I don't know if you guys caught this. It was just uh, a, f- a couple of seconds. Uh, if you saw, if you were an American and you saw them marching towards you like that, I think you'd probably lose just because you'd be laughing so much. With the high socks, the well, big high white uh, socks. Kind of, yeah, and they were kind of like it. Kind of reminded me of like the Oompa Loompas in Charlie's Factory. Like they were kind of bouncing along, you know, in this kind of jaunty march. And I was like, that's not that's not the most threatening thing I've ever seen. Uh, so that really broke the tension for me. And then the other one was the Iraqi Interior Minister. 
after being interviewed. This isn't quite the fame. There's a famous interview of is do you remember um uh what was the the Iraqi guys uh, it was a chemical alley. Uh, renamed Comical Ali, oh, but yeah. he was uh, he was the guy. I don't think it's the same fella that's on this clip, but he was the guy with the hook for a hand. And there's this famous interview oh, where yeah. he's like, he's like, oh. no, Iraq's winning. We're winning the war. And in the background, you can see a US, the first US tank coming over the horizon, and it's like, you know, <laughs> this is not going to end well. So this is it's not that clip's not here, but the clip that's here is the Iraqi Interior Minister saying they're going to slaughter all the invaders and their tombs will be in Iraq. And then like the next clip is like. Uh, you know, George W. Bush declaring victory after six weeks. And it's like, well, that did not go well for you, well, Iraqi interior that's, minister. That's the end of me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's swift. It is like, and then as if the Iraqi people hadn't suffered enough, they had to have Tony Blair address them on TV. Good Lord. That's a, that's a big insult though, isn't it? Like, you know, he's, he's like, you know, well, it's great to finally meet you. Um, you know, he wouldn't even talk in their language. He was speaking bloody English. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's yeah. true too. They didn't even have a translator, did they? No. God, Absolutely. that is insulting to say that. And it's a case of, uh, oh, you know, tyranny and uh, everything like that. Meanwhile, we, we plan to introduce that into my country as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> We've taken some great lessons from what Saddam has done here. <laughs> we'll be taking them back to London very soon. The uh, the, the other thing was, uh, was uh, George Bush declaring mission accomplished and then, like, in the most American fashion possible, just leaving Iraq then to its own voices straight away I was yeah. like that's just yeah there's clearly no post-war plan for yeah. Iraq yeah and from the from the hindsight of 19 years later we can confirm there still was no plan <laughs> no yeah and, and that region is still fucked yeah <laughs> it was kind of like the wild west or something though. yeah no it, it, it was like god like this is the one of the worst parts obviously god war is terrible and people in Iraq suffered hugely but one of the worst parts for us westerners I suppose was the fact that we had to fucking watch Tony Blair on the news every bloody night, you know, <laughs> and rehashing the same shit over and over. Um, Didn't Blair just go from like? Remember he swept in. We saw him in the ninety-seven episode, and he was young and he was cool, and it was like, you know, the mid-nineties Britain where it was like Oasis and Euro ninety-six and like this rebirth of a nation, and he was riding that wave. Yeah. And in, it's only six years later, and he's just this old. Yeah tyrannical you know white guy you know it's just like he just lost all that cool so quickly by basically jumping into bed with George Bush uh, well anybody who jumps into uh, to bed with George Bush to be fair loses that bit of cool I mean like his wife is the most uncool person I've ever seen uh, <laughs> have you seen actually have you seen on the topic of this war have you seen the film Vice no? which was released I a couple of years ago it's it's uh, it's um it's a film about Dick Cheney, who was George Bush's vice president, right? Oh. Uh, but it covers the period it covers in depth is 9-11 and then the, the the fallout, which includes obviously this whole, you know, invading Iraq and going after uh, going after the weapons of mass destruction. And it shows you that what we now know, which is that they knew there was no weapons of mass destruction and that this was all a, mm. uh, it was all made up. And essentially what the film implies, and I don't know how it's pretty accurate, but it's, you know, obviously there's license taken in it, so I'm not going to say it tells the whole true story, but it essentially implies that, um, you know, Cheney and these people, um, the real power brokers, orchestrated the whole thing to get the oil, which is what everyone was protesting about at the time anyway, you know, so it wasn't mm. exactly well hidden, but it just really, it just really cast a light on, like, we saw the address here from Colin Powell, that features in that film, and it's just like, he was basically put out there as this, like, face that people liked, uh, so if he went out and said there was WMDs, people would believe him, you know, that kind of way, and it was really cynical the way they did it, and basically just, like, 
went along with and Britain went along with this lie and uh, and mm. uh, they just stomped all over Iraq and then left it to civil anybody, war. I guess. Anybody who watched Vice though and who also watched Real in the years 2002 was sitting there going, but the dossier, the dossier. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody was it who played um, Dick Cheney? Was it uh, uh, Christian Bale? Yeah, that's what I remember. That mm. And I was like, really, really. Oh, like unrecognizable, but yeah, it's him, that's, all right. a, that's Christian Bale down to a T, though. Like playing these roles, yeah. he has no business playing. To be fair, um, I do remember actually when the and I can't find the name sort of life of me, but when uh, this whole you know war in Iraq and what have you came out, they I remember the biggest propaganda kind of tool that the the Americans used was uh the deck of cards where uh all of it was like iraqis most wanted and they had the names and faces of all of the people and like saddam was the king you know and like uh and they released these and these are huge but like there was obviously a load of guys on it that you you've never heard of but there was mm. one fella on it there was two guys on it and now i can't actually see their names but one of them just has like he's pale and has a massive ginger beard and you're like, there's no way that that guy is not from Connemara. Uh, and then there was another guy on it as well who just had a mustache, but he just had a big Irish head on him. Um, and I remember those cards. <laughs> I remember you used to be able to get those cards in like gift shops in Spain and mm. like that. Um, but yeah, it's it, like there was a lot of stuff that came out from you know the the whole war in Iraq. Um, but one of them is today's pop quiz. <laughs> Um, so today's pop quiz is in terms of days, how long did the war in Iraq last officially from declaring war to the time that Obama went right no more, no more. Uh, so how many days? So I'm going to start with Alex this week. What would you reckon at a guess? How many days did the war in Iraq last? Many days was the war in Iraq. Oh God. We'll go with, I don't know. We'll go <laughs> 2,800. Uh, okay. Um, I will say. Try frantically trying to divide Alex's answer by three hundred sixty-five here. <laughs> Can't do that kind of maths in my head. I'll say. Uh, th- uh three thousand. Um, uh, I don't know, three thousand two hundred and five. Uh, so it was actually 3,192. Ooh, oh, nice. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I've been hustled. I can't do it, Matt. I can actually hustled. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, if, if somebody even said, when did the war in Iraq end? I'd be like, is it not still going on? Um, I thought it was when Biden... See, you gave me a clue with Obama, because as soon as you said Obama, I was like, oh, oh yeah, okay, right, Obama's okay. Said, I remember this now. Because it was basically when they killed Bin Laden, wasn't it? Isn't that right? Uh, or like, you know, around that time. Around that time, My... signed an order, all right, to pull troops out. My biggest memory about when he killed Bin Laden, obviously, you know, was the address from Obama and says, hey, we've gotten him. But I always remember John Cena at a yeah. WWE event when I went yes. off the air just go, we got him, we got him. That's where <laughs> we all heard about it, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, it's so weird. It's so he, like, stood at the table, like, started to salute the audience and stuff. It's, That's got to be like Vince McMahon in the headset just going, John, John, we got Bin Laden, tell them. Yeah, it's it's such a weird thing to like to find out. Like, if we found out, like, if if John Cena wasn't around, would you say? And it was like, I don't know, fucking Kane was in the middle of the ring giving somebody a tombstone, and he just stopped. <laughs> and like, oh, by the way, we got Bin Laden. 
But uh, it would have been perfect if we were taker out in the ring. Actually, there you go. That's true. it. Was the, it was the cheap? It was the cheapest, cheapest of cheap pops, really. It was. There was nobody <laughs> on earth was going to boo that. Uh, <laughs> which uh, brings us to our newer segment of the show. It's Simon's favorite Twitter page. So, Simon's favorite Twitter page. So you've had two weeks. So what? What have you got for us this week? Yes. Well. Um. Okay. So I've gone for something slightly different. Um. The I was going to say it's on theme with this episode, but not really because the space theme that we saw was quite sad. Uh, but it is space themed. Uh, so the page or the Twitter page that I have uh, that I'm bringing to you is uh, Sarcastic Rover. That's at Sarcastic Rover. Okay. Um, and this is uh, the unofficial Twitter page of the Mars Rover. Um, <laughs> and basically, uh, I think you'll see from the pinned tweet uh, the type of thing they're going for here. I'll read that out. It says, "Stop treating Mars like a backup boyfriend. Just fix your current relationship with Earth because you can't live here." <laughs> I love it. Uh, there's a, there's, on the same theme, uh, the most recent tweet is uh, actually, well, that, I think the pinned tweet is the most recent tweet. Oh no, that was last year. So the most recent tweet from January twenty seventh. And uh, it's retweeted a page called Amazing Nature, which put up a headline that said there is a, quotes, highly habitable planet just uh, four light years from us, study suggests. And Sarcastic Grover said, there's a highly habitable planet right under your feet. Just stop wrecking it, you dummies. (laughs) Um, So it's it's that kind of theme. It's it's, it's essentially suggesting that the Mars rover sits on Mars... I was going to say silently judging us, but judging us through the medium of Twitter uh, for the way that we're fucking up the earth, which I think is a, uh, which I think is a right on brand for a sarcastic rover. Mm, that's, that is actually very um, true. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, I'm just reading through some of the tweets here. Um, and it's, um, it's, he has a couple of shots at Elon Musk. Um, <laughs> and any, anytime really that people, uh, Anytime people kind of tweet about Mars, he's on it. Uh, so, for example, a page called Martian Soil uh, back last year tweeted, Earth rocks collected in 19th century hold the clues to finding water on Mars. And Sarcastic Rover said, cool, I guess I can just come home then. <laughs> uh, so it's just, I just, I just really like the, uh, I like the sarcastic tone, um, the, uh, the, the silent judgery and the fact that it is a recent page which again is very hard to find in terms of uh in terms of um parody twitter pages so uh so that's at sarcastic rover for anyone who would like to be mildly entertained on twitter yeah certainly, certainly i like will. the thought of the mars rovers but on mars it's like oh, i'm so bored yeah I, but you know what, and uh, the mars rover uh which is this is a quite sad image they've programmed it that on its birthday it sings happy birthday to itself which, oh god yeah but i mean it's kind of cool to think about think about being a child and think about what's out there what's in space whatever the only population of mars that we know of is a robot there are robots on mars which mm-hmm. is kind of cool um and up next uh cork versus kilkenny in the hurling final i actually wasn't at this game um Despite having the momentum of a strike behind them, Kilkenny beat Cork 114 to 111. I remember this being a huge thing at the time that the Cork players went on strike, but I can't remember what it was about. Was it about they wanted to be paid, basically? 
Alright, saying that. Um well yeah, they wanted better like um what's the word? Like perks to being on the Cork team. Um, so like nowadays it's kind of taken for granted. Like if, I don't know if you know anyone who plays um, like inter-county hurling or football, particularly at the, at the, at the better count, in the you know kind of more successful counties. Like there's a lot of perks, you know, like I would um, kind of uh, know a couple of Dublin footballers, not very well, but you know, um, one or two or three work and stuff like that. And like, you know, they, they would get, you know, you get your gym and, you know, all the stuff you need to be yeah. a top athlete, especially one that has to work as well. Um, so it was more, I think, that because back then, like, it was very amateur in every sense. And really, at this point, they're they're starting to become the nearly semi-professionals that inter-county hurlers and footballers are now um, at that elite level. Like, if you know any of them, they're just, they're, their lives are so taken up by all the 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 exercise all the not the exercise but like you know the uh the oh, prep yeah. they got to do the rehab the nutrition all that kind of stuff like that was all coming in i think the cork hurlers were essentially they've always been at loggerheads with the cork county board people from cork are generally quite uh narky with each other would that be fair to say um <laughs> you know they'd stand their ground i think we've seen that over the last few episodes oh, with yeah. certain uh certain footballer uh you know not afraid to speak their mind and look for what they believe they should have uh what they're entitled to so that was i think like there's a couple of strikes there's actually i think in a couple of years time we're going to see another one uh which actually threatened that court just wouldn't play at all in one of the seasons and they eventually did but um but yeah it was uh they were they they they, they what is the word for like what's the past tense for going on strike? they just went on strike or did they struck they yeah, stroked i don't know uh uh, they probably guess, yeah. yeah anyway they did that and a couple of times uh this group of players so like down low cusack was kind of usually their their uh their shop steward if you like you know and yeah. their, their the, the voice and uh you know they had a lot of big players and like this core team would go on to be very successful over the next few years which we'll see in the next few years but uh this was their first final and they had unearthed satanto halpin yeah. we see scoring the goal and then celebrating like he's a giant ostrich um yeah, well, but- that. i've never seen a flamboyant Kind of hurling, but this is what he was like. I remember this, and he was, I mean, he was only like 19 then, but he was so exotic because obviously, the Halpines, you know, as uh, and you know, uh, mother from Fiji, father from Donegal, neither a hurling stronghold, like you know, so they had that exoticness about them, particularly 20 years ago. Like, we weren't, you know, anywhere near as, 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 uh, as, um. Yeah. culturally diverse as we are now not that we're the most diverse country in the world even now but like you know back then so they were really they were probably the first hurlers of any kind of uh, mm. mixed race to play you know and uh, and Satanta was kind of the 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 star up up top and he burst on the went to Australia so he didn't last playing hurling for Cork very long but I remember this year he was electric because Wexford uh, my team played uh, Cork in the semi-final before this and uh, were beaten on a replay but uh, he was electric in those games I remember being at Croke Park for those games and he was yeah. unbelievable and I think to a kid because he was only a couple of years older really I mean, six, seven years mm. older than me and like he was like this amazing like God nearly kind of like David Clifford is now with the football yeah. Great name too I thought um, when he did his little celebration there, I thought he was like mocking his brother, like, you know, that's the sound that a bird would make. Sean Hogue, Sean Hogue. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just got kind of like yeah. Jamie Vardy vibes. I remember seeing him do that. It's just not obviously yeah. that, like, in guy. You're kind of like going, right, you scored, get on with it. Yeah, well, didn't didn't do much good in the end. No. Really. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, you're a star up next. The show that brought you such stars as, moving on, um, in a hope to find Ireland's next Eurovision success. Ha! Uh, thousands audition, including Simon Casey and Mickey Joe Hart, who reached the final. 
and the winner is in the most un like anticlimactic announcement of all time. It's Mickey Joe Hart with "We've Got the World," and let's be honest, mm. quite a fucking tune. Yeah, it, it was. And, you know, this was huge. Like, I mean, you heard Ray Darcy say there, one point three million votes. Like, this was massive. Reality TV was so big. We'll see that again later on in the episode. And like, it's just, um, this was this was really big. And this was before they cottoned on to the fact that you know, with the auditions, this is when they used to just walk into a room with the three judges and do the audition, yeah. not like X Factor. I was going to say nowadays, I think X Factor is done, but, uh, you know, where they would audition in front of a big crowd. Like, this is real, um, I don't know, amateur or, like, low-key kind of thing. But uh, it, I remember this. Like, I think the whole country watched this, um, particularly in the lead-up to the final. I like that they went on the big bus and went to each other's home places uh, and, like, just yeah. probably got abused by, like, because, like, really- Mickey Hart was from Donegal and Simon Casey was from Offaly and you can just imagine like the Offaly people when Mickey Hart stepped off the bus just be like fuck you Mickey fuck off <laughs> <laughs> and the same in Donegal like, just have... I was disappointed that we didn't see a single pie in the face in this episode ah uh, no yeah that... <laughs> no pies no. no they didn't go to Leitrim or Roscommon or wherever we decided that was <laughs> Well, it's kind of once again, it shows like our compared to the rest of the world because you know, like we've just seen the Iraqi conflict, you know, the US going to war and Britain going to war and everything like that. Meanwhile, here's meanwhile, what happened there. Well, here's the hurling, and we're going to find the new Eurovision star. That's our priority. Yeah, I, I remember watching this because it, it was uh, they kind of made like a bit like a bit of an X Factor show out of it. It was kind of like reality based and you know that kind of shit. But the, one of the contestants in it was a chap by the name of George Murphy, and his whole appeal was that he was he was really young he was like 17 or 18 and he sang like Lou Kelly like he really I remember really that guy I remember that guy and he really really sang like Lou Kelly he was he really, did. really good and then they tried to spice it up by having him sing like Sinatra or something and he they they it was live like I want to say it was like live like every Friday or something I think it was yeah and yeah he totally fucked up the words to like come fly with me or some shit like that and just panicked and stopped singing and like you can see stagehands and everything going, we're fucking live. Like keep going, just keep going. Um, and eventually, he, now he actually went on to get a record deal and sang a song. Oh God, called "No Time for Cowboys." Remember the ads been on telly, and it was so far removed from everything he'd done that it just totally tanked. And he was just another guy with a guitar. Um, yeah, and he was—he really was a guy. I remember him, and he really was a guy that like you could have marketed him as like mm. as the new Luke Kelly. He literally did sound like Luke Kelly, like and yeah. you know, just it was, it, yeah, it was. It, I understood in the show why they had to try and get him out of his comfort zone because you can't go on and sing a Dubliner song on the Eurovision. Like you, you're you're going to be given a song that is not, you know, that is not a Luke Kelly song. So, um, but yeah, I, I found Mickey Joe very interesting because he was um. Mickey Joe was like a singer-songwriter, right? So you saw him there in the Eurovision with a snazzy green guitar. Like, he was like a proper singer-songwriter. And in the 90s, like, nobody liked singer-songwriters. They didn't want them. They only wanted manufactured pop bands like Boyzone and Westlife. And uh, poor old Mickey Joe was left out in the cold. So eventually, after years of trying, he gave in and was like, fine, I'll go on the fucking reality show. And then he went and won it. Yeah. He didn't ended up in the Eurovision, which is the least cool place for a singer-songwriter to be, I might add. That's true. Now, he didn't do too bad. He ended up being 11th, uh, which, I mean, mm-hmm. you would expect somebody, A, from Ireland, and B, who came from a reality show. Like, let's be honest, I don't have great hopes for our entry this year. Um, but, like, we're not used to, you know, being kind of in the top, you know, top contention. But he did well. And I do remember what was iconic for years was, like, his glittery green guitar. 
and there were music shops up and down the country that were flogging like a painted green fender for like a thousand bucks you know what I mean it was just it was the iconic Jesus. looking and like they said in the show his song was the biggest selling single in Ireland that year which yeah. is really crazy because yeah. when you think about it what also came out that year was that song Fuck You by Eamon remember that one? yes <laughs> which which what? Mickey Joe Hart did a cover of what oh what? yeah no, he did, did he? He did, right? So I don't know if you remember this, right? But at the time, or around this time, uh, Today FM even did... Even the real thing. Even the real thing, which is like a live lounge type thing where singers would come on and sing a diff- totally different song, like someone like from a totally different artist to them. And he did two, uh, one of which, the second one was, was, was Fuck You. No way! Well, I can't remember what the first one was. Um... No, it's gone. Uh, but but that, he definitely did the the, the fuck you one, and I I'd say it's on Spotify or, oh, you know, if oh. you can look it up online, I'd say you'd find it somewhere. But uh, I don't know if it's any yeah. good or not. But um, but yeah, he definitely did did a cover of that. Funny enough, but yeah. yeah, that was like it's amazing. Like to get a, a number one in Ireland, I know he had the whole show behind him, and we saw six the previous year get the same thing. But like you know, it's a big achievement. Like he's a number one song in Ireland he wouldn't have got that if he just stayed true to his you know so I'm a singer songwriter and I'll work my way up and I'll eventually get it because at the time they, as I said singer song nowadays he'd, he'd, he'd do well because the singer songwriters are are in or certainly in the last yeah. couple of years but back then mm. it was all pop and this these kind of shows and this whole decade really was all reality shows and X Factor took over and all that kind of thing but uh he was the, and he was the best of because Eurostar limped on for several years oh, sending worse and worse acts to the Eurovision Donna and Joe anyone um oh. but but <laughs> us in the turkey as well yeah but uh but Mickey Joe was the best I mean as you said he actually got to the final and came 11th which was which was a good achievement and do you know what, like mm-hmm. you, now you've kind of sent me down a bit of a rabbit hole because I am uh, I'm looking up here so it, the album was made for Children's Hospital Talent Barrettstown uh, it came out in 2004 it was actually even better than The Real Things Volume 2 um, now I wrote I actually I'm looking at it now right I had this album on a I don't know if you remember the Microsoft Zoom was it Zuma Zoom it was like the their competition to the oh. iPod which didn't take off what well, we're on now I do not remember that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the Microsoft Zoom. That's that's what we're on now well, here on the Microsoft no, is, Zoom. You're right, actually. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it was called the Zumba or the Zoom. So I'll, I'll think of it anyway. But some of the songs on this album were actually fantastic. Toxic by like a cover of Britney Spears' "Toxic" by Juliet Turner. Believe me when I say this, it is the sexiest song you'll ever hear sung by like Juliet Turner. Is just like as in her version of it is just it's pure just audible sex um, but some of the stuff that they have on here was fucking unbelievable Paddy Casey and the Dublin Gospel Choir singing No Diggity uh, Dry Your Eyes by Brian Kennedy of all people <laughs> you're right Mickey, you're right. I'm going to have to come back to that and you're right Mickey Joe Hart I Don't Want You Back by Eamon that's, that's it that's art that is going to be the outro for this week's episode there you go um, and uh, also making his way to the stage with a very Ultimate Warrior-esque jog, it's Bertie Ahern. Uh, he basically shits on about how, how great him and the lads are. Uh, new roads oh, yeah. So basically, Fianna Fáil Rhode Ireland. Um, we did get some quality infrastructure out of the Celtic Tiger, to be fair. Uh, and house building reaches record levels don't make me sick. Oh, there was houses <laughs> popping up everywhere, weren't there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah. Supply was good then. Um, yeah, so um this was lauded obviously as this is the this is the turning point, okay. So just to be uh be the finance guy for a second. Um as I said, the economy had slowed down in the previous two years. Um and that 
that that bubble that had happened in the late 90s that came from like um exportable stuff or it came from like um you know american companies coming and investing their money in ireland and the dot-com bubble and computer companies and stuff like that we, we know that's ended now and what this is fueled by is construction and the construction is made possible by cheap credit mm-hmm. and lacks banking regulation and it's not exportable and ireland can't sell it which means that when it crashes and it will crash we know what's going to happen uh so this is the start this is the start of the next five years and what we're going to see in the next couple of episodes um but this is where the bubble starts to really blow up and stretch to the point of breaking uh it that you can pinpoint it to this moment and this probably this Bertie Ahern speech so so actually it's... not to be to go down a, a finance uh, rabbit hole or anything but it is something that I actually kind of am interested in maybe you'll have the answer maybe you won't maybe if you do have the answer you could be next president who knows but um we do see this a lot right with with reeling in years particularly where a certain industry for example construction uh or the economy growing to a certain level right it's we know from history now that there's always, always, always a crash, right? So like your economy is just climbing and climbing and all of a sudden just fucking tanks, right? Mm. Is there a way that you can be like, yeah, great, the economy's booming, we're building houses, now let's keep it up and let's not make it crash. Or like, can you just predict like five years in the future, there's going to be a crash and there's nothing we can do about it? Uh, I think there'll always be peaks and troughs, but you can limit it from being a crash, right? So you can just have it that it'll be a slowdown, like we saw in 01 and 02. Like what happened there was the economy retracted, but it didn't it didn't affect things. Like there was still, you know, nearly 100% employment and uh, people were still doing well. There's still money in people's pockets. Like there's so many things go into it. If you take now, for example, you know, our cost of living is shooting up by the day, it feels yeah. like, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the you know, these things, so there's loads of things that go into it, the economy, but like, it's just, um, you know, not losing the run of yourself is a good start, uh, which obviously we failed massively at, at this, oh, yeah. at this point in history. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and yeah, look, I, I guess, I guess Ireland really probably needed to, um, I won't claim to have, have all the answers, but I guess Ireland really needed to, um, temper putting all their eggs in the construction basket, and the house building basket but of course a lot of people are making money out of it um mm. so that's the problem i think to actually get a scenario a utopian scenario where things are just going well all the time you'd need everyone to work together for the greater good um and not get greedy and that's that's not really human nature so okay. yeah yeah but it's so weird to look back at this again because you know i imagine we're all the same age like you know we've all kind of lived through the same stuff it's so weird to hear people talk about the Irish economy and just like say like they're oh like this is great this is wonderful whereas we're used to being like lads we have no money we never will so it was so weird to kind of see that like uh 19 years ago people saying this and just and that was the thing as well like like they knew exactly what was going to happen coming out and be like oh yeah we're all great it's like no no you're all sort of financially you're just telling us that we are too but we're going to find out very soon that we really aren't yeah, it's. Um, I think when I was watching this episode, my my wife put it best by going, "Ah, houses, remember them." Uh, <laughs> <so> <laughs> pretty much sums it all up. Um, and speaking of, uh, our, I suppose history repeating itself, uh, we see that even though spending on healthcare reaches over two hundred and fifty percent increase, the efficiency of the health board is still subpar. Professor Neve mm. Brennan tells us that almost a quarter of the taxpayers' money is spelled on, spent on health services. The government announced a new plan that will see the health board replaced with the HSE. Same shit, different name. Um, we mm-hmm. also get a shot of a younger Michal Martin and his lovely <sighs> over. Um, 
and we hear from multiple doctors who share their concern. But here we are 19 years later and things are still as bad. So it looks as though slapping a new name on it just does not work. Yeah, yeah, and it upset me watching this as well because, you know, we had SARS there, but we saw people with the mask on their face. Then I saw Mihal Martin on TV and was like, oh, God. Yeah, what year is it? Like, imagine Germany. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of looked and was like, this is such a weird episode. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's like, they were crying out then, you know, and you see shots yeah. of the ERs and people on trolleys and, and it's like, this isn't new, you know what I mean? This is like nearly 20 years removed and here we are in the same bubble and the same problems and it's just, it's, it's just all being ignored. It's been swept under the rug and sorry, there's, there's really nothing that we can do about it. And Yeah, it's, it's mad. And like the thing about it is, is what Michal here is announcing, Michal and his hair are announcing here is, um, you know, abolishing the 11 health boards, which have been there since the 70s and combining them under the HSE banner, right? So that was like supposed to, I guess, get rid of a lot of the, I don't know, Kieran, you have a better idea of it than me, but like the, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, the red tape and the kind of yeah. middle management and all that kind of stuff that was kind of in the individual health boards. But like, if anything, the HSE is worse. Yeah, yeah. And, and what it is, is um, essentially, I suppose, from my, you know, this is the rare occasion where I actually get to uh, take my real life work into into this. Podcast. You're the health guy. I'm the health guy. Um, mm. Yeah. So basically what it is, is you're right. They did have um, so many health boards all across the country, like the Southeastern Health Board, the Northwestern Health Board, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yeah, they had their own management structure and they weren't really proper, not they weren't properly regulated, but they weren't being monitored properly. So uh, one hand didn't know what the other was doing, essentially. So the idea was to combine it under let's let's make one big HSE health service executive. But the problem was you can't budge in to uh, all of these different management structures and say, oh, hey, uh, by the way, you um, middle management in charge of referrals, you're you, you, we're not paying you anymore. You You can't do this job you're going to go do you're going to go back to nursing and we're just going to pay your nurses but you have to keep these people under contract but then yeah. what happens is uh, because now they've all got a bigger uh, i guess uh, a bigger workload to to manage and um, they all have to not only keep these jobs but now they're saying okay well you know we're actually going to need more people to manage you know these bigger areas that we now have and obviously as the country grows bigger and you know, our borders open up, I suppose, and, and we, we our population gets higher, you need more people to manage them. But in order to get more people to manage them, you need to make it attractive. So you have to pay them more money. As a result, you pay your managers more so that they can manage the nurses. But you can't really afford to pay the nurses because you need to pay the nurses, you need to pay your managers money, etc., etc. And it just begets a rolling effect and then all of a sudden you come across a problem where it's like okay so now we actually have a big issue where there are i don't know there are ten thousand people on trolleys across the country tonight and somebody steps in and says okay i've got an idea i can manage this so uh, i can get a team together of people who will look into this and people who will you know separate the you know whatever and then you're like great so we're going to pay the manager of this 70,000. We're going to pay his, you know, uh, the supervisors under him 50,000. And then it gets down to it and it's like, great, but now we don't have money to pay the nurses. So it's just, it, like I said, slapping a new name on it, it doesn't make it any better. You've actually just kind of made the problem worse and tried to make it look better by putting a new name on it. So uh, it is unfortunately, as somebody who works as in the healthcare system, it's a problem that is unfortunately never going to be fixed unless 
we just start building hospitals and make Ireland a, a new haven for attractive doctors. Not physically, you know, we could do it without sexy doctors, but, um, you know, just to, to uh, attractive place to actually to work, you know, because um, we, we discussed this on a previous episode, like who in their right mind would actually want to go to college in Ireland just to be a nurse in Ireland because you spend all that money in college and then you get out and you don't get paid. You know what I mean? So, um, yep. it's just it's just a problem that's never really going to fix itself. It's, it's, it's more yeah. like damage control. And especially as we saw, like we go back to the last two years, like all the nurses were promised, you know, everything under the sun because of the hard work they were doing. Because I'm like one of my good friends is a nurse. I know the conditions they were working in were horrific. And they were promised the sun, moon, and stars, and they weren't even given the basic thing of. I know a big thing was they were told, "Oh, by the way, your nurses' fees, you won't have to pay them. We'll cover them for all the hard work." When the time came, no, uh, sorry, we can't afford that. Uh, yeah, like I mean, uh, look, uh, without getting too political. It's kind of hard to get your hopes up about things like this because, you know, even today, mm. uh, today, what today do we have? The 11th of the 2nd, uh, uh, somebody, oh God, I want to say Steve, Stephen Donnelly, maybe, maybe not, um, basically said that, the, oh yeah, by the way, you know the way we said that the, the USC charge was temporary all the years ago? There's no way we can abolish it now. So it's kind of, you know, going back on their word sort of a thing. But like looking at the, looking at the footage of, um, you know, those, those crowded rooms uh, in, in the A&E and, with all those beds so close together it's kind of like oh you can see how things actually got a bit more under pressure with covid because yeah now you can't have 100 people in trot on trolleys in the one room now you can only have 50 you know so uh like i said it's a problem that's never really going to be fixed um yes. but it, it, those images did look they certainly looked very uh very third world i have to say which not a great look for a booming economy Absolutely. It was quite similar to the scenes we saw in the, uh, the Iraqi hospitals earlier when the civilians were being killed. Actually, there you go. That's that's quite true. Um, and up next, we see controversy in the Kerry versus Tyrone match as the implementation of swarm tactics pisses off Pat Spillane no end. Um, <laughs> as he puke football. A, yeah, he labels a puke football. Not <laughs> a happy man is Pat. Uh, the swarm <laughs> obviously works as Tyrone go on to win the Sam McGuire in the first time. Um, this is the first time the two years from Ulster meet in the final, and the Tyrone, of course, go on to it twelve points to nine. Um, swarm, swarm tactics, like okay, it looks thuggish. I won't lie, it does, uh, but it obviously worked. Uh, so I don't really know much about you know the swarm tactics. So I mean, as I say, you're the sports guy as well as the finance guy. So uh, it's <laughs> something that was like you know put a stop to. Did they ban it? Are they still? Still no, I think it was just a very specific tactic. So like at the time, again, kind of like we were talking about the hurling and the, like how at the time the players were modernizing. So it's around this time really that that tactics started to come in in as much as, you know, we all watch soccer, right? And obviously, you know, it's, there's a very tactical game. There's loads of different ways to play the game. Gaelic football and hurling were, were man on man for like over 100 years, right? Like you, you walked out. You were playing left corner forward. You were going to be marked by the right cornerback. That was it. You stood beside him. Mm. The two of you ran around. You tried to get the best of your man. That was it, right? That was the game. And it was fifteen players like that marking you. Well, the two goalkeepers and the fourteen outfield players marking each other, right? That was it. There wasn't really any tactics. It was just like, you know, really skillful players. Um, you know, and and the better teams won. And that's what happened, right? There wasn't a huge amount of tactics involved. That's a very simplistic view. But that's kind of what it was like. So this was really the first... But the Ulster teams of this era, because Ulster was so competitive, were coming up with different ways to try and get an edge over each other. And, uh, you know, Tyrone were implementing this system where they were really fit. 
Um, mm-hmm. And Kerry were playing, trying to play man on. They were trying to play traditional football, get the ball to their good players like Colin Cooper. Um, and Tyrone were saying, well, when someone like Cooper gets the ball or whoever it is, we are going to get four guys around him and he can't do shit. He can't do anything because he's got to bounce the ball every four steps. He's got it or solo it. He, you know, he can't, he can't, he can't do anything, right? Because we're just going to be in there. And as soon as he, the ball leaves his hand, we're going to knock it out or we're going to just swarm him. And it was a really novel tactic. Um, I don't think it's much surprise that impartial pundit from yeah. Spillane uh, <laughs> didn't like it. But, uh, you know, it was, it was, it, look, it wasn't good to watch. And, you know, there'll always be purists with any sport who'll say, well, you know, it's like, it's like, um, you know, the thing about parking the bus in football. Yeah. I was or like, say the, mod- like the modern equivalent the really is, is watching Burnley, right? It's crap. But, you know, <laughs> Burnley, are, Burnley are bottom of the league this year. So they're terrible example this year but for years it has worked right uh you know four four fucking two for burnley has worked right and that's it's not nice to watch and as a leeds fan i much rather watch us pass the ball around but it's very frustrating then watching leeds to see 70 goals there's loads of different ways to play so mm. you know but you'll get the purists who um like pat spillan who uh who weren't too happy about the uh the defense but look i mean at the end of the day, Tyrone won the All-Ireland. It was the first time they ever won it. So, like, you know, they had to do something different. If they tried to play that Kerry team man-on-man, they'd probably have lost. So this is the idea. You know, if you don't if you don't feel you can measure up quality-wise in terms of individual skill, you've got to come up with something different. And now every team does it. It's like in hurling now. Every team plays a sweeper. That's the new thing. Now. Yeah. Not more, but that's, you know, it's a tactic. That's what happens. And teams are finding different ways to uh, to beat each other. And uh, this was probably the first real example of it. I think Armagh kind of did it the year before, but um, but there was more of a romanticism about them. I also do think there was a thing at this time of oh, fucking Nordies coming down here and yeah. winning. You know, it, there was a bit of that. And there's <laughs> always been a bit of edge between teams from, from Ulster and teams from, um, and, and teams from the South. There, There's always been that that edge to it uh, and I think that was part of it as well but it was uh, like as someone who likes the underdog I, I thoroughly enjoyed and I thoroughly enjoy Pat's Blanc's meltdown to be honest Both into yeah it was good to see um, can I just uh, when you said it, it's like watching Burnley play right so it's funny <laughs> you say that right because so um, just going to segue off here for a moment so my daughter had to get a PCR test so I had to mind the kids at home so I was out of work on Thursday and what do you do when you're home all day watch TV so I was watching Judge Rinder and uh, there was a court now look obviously we all know there's definitely heavy scripting going on in these Judge Judy Judge Rinder whatever but there was a uh, guy who brought another guy to court and the reason he brought him to court was because the guy so the uh, complainant, I suppose, was a, a huge Blackburn Rovers fan and wanted a Blackburn Rovers cake for his son for his birthday. Uh, so he enlisted the services of a local baker who was, you know, one of these bake from home type of people and said, hey, can you make me a Blackburn Rovers cake? So he was like, yeah, cool. So the cake was phenomenal. It was like the Blackburn Rovers crest, the blue, the white, everything, right? When they cut into the cake... The inside of the cake was coloured blue and maroon for Burnley. Wow. Yep. So there was... There you a, go, Burnley wrecking somebody's birthday. Yep. So he cuts open his uh, Blackburn Rovers cake and there's the Burnley coloured looking at him, uh, which is just hilarious. Uh, just a great way of uh, you know, <laughs> a, a, a sly dig. Um, 
but no, I have to say that we saw the footage during the uh, during the week. Actually, I don't know if you saw it of uh, the the GA match. I I can't even think of who the hell was playing, but it was just basically two teams on the pitch, absolutely knocking the shite out of each other, uh, and it just brought back you know memories of these swarm tactics. It was thrown in our map. There you go, thrown in our map. Um, funny enough, uh, and yet knocking the shite out of each other. So, um, you know, Gaelic has always been a bit of a tougher sport, I suppose, than hurling in terms of the physicality and the, the punch ups and what have you. But uh, the swarm tactics, they I prefer the term less skilled, but you know, whatever, uh, <laughs> whatever floats your boat. Less skilled, <laughs> I mean, it's no, it's no Burnley. Uh, <laughs> I reckon Burnley winning all Ireland. <laughs> yeah, have a yeah possibly. Well, they they signed that big tall fella from Holland, so he'd definitely be a good full forward. Absolutely, I tell you, I when you look at thinking about football, when you see Harry Maguire as well, that's a fella you see in a guy thing. That's why the fella running around the pitch, you probably yeah. do a better job there too. That's true, but um, to this day, I will defend the fact that Harry Maguire uh, is the spitting image of Arlene Foster. Yes, thank you. I've been saying it to people for years. Yep, absolute bulb. Yes, the absolute <laughs> head offer and the same haircut too. True, true. Uh, and speaking of people who look like things, uh, the Eamon Dunphy show next uh, as Eamon Dunphy tries to take on the Late Late Show with TV3 but is cancelled after fix 15 weeks. Uh, as I said to Alex before we started recording, you know you have a shit product when TV3 don't want you. Exactly. And when you lose the Pat Kenny. Yeah. yeah. But this is when you, this is cancelling before cancelling was cancelling. So like he, his show was legitimately cancelled. He didn't even say anything. Well, maybe he did say something bad, but he wouldn't have been cancelled for it in 2003. Yeah, do you reckon Ron? I need to research the show because I slept on this. I had no idea it existed. And I'm really excited to have a look at this. And I pray to God, even I'm an atheist, I pray to God that on one of the episodes, Rod Little was a guest. I really hope that we can unearth this somehow. That would be incredible. I'd say that's why you got cancelled. They were like, look, Eamon, we're actually running out of people who want to talk to you. We've got Rod Little on the phone. He's like, no, no, we're not fucking doing it. No. I would think that Rod Little was supposed to be on, but, you know, instead he stepped out with a young one and I couldn't make a show that night and don't be went mad backstage. Uh, yeah, I have, I have, I have vague recollections, alright, of of, uh, of of this kind of of this show. Like Eamon Dunphy around this time, just kind of threw his hat at everything. Like we saw him write Kino's book last year. He gave a shot at the weakest link for some unknown reason, um, and then tried his own talk show. But not even, not even random celebrities in Ireland want to sit down and talk to Eamon Dunphy for twenty minutes. Yeah, it's crazy the fact that you know I saw this. I was like, how did I sleep on this? Like, how was this a thing that I didn't know about? So I love Dougie, I think he's hilarious, but as soon as I came up, I was sitting, you know, writing me notes, I do for a shot, and I just looked up and I just said out loud, what? Yeah, uh, it's just because, you know, when you're hosting a TV show like that, you have to be smiley and happy, and those are two things that Eamon Dunphy is just not really. Um, thing. I'm going to add that to my repertoire. He's happy in cer- of, uh, certain situations. True. I'm going to add that to my repertoire of uh, the chats that officially we've uh, outlasted the Eamon Dunphy show. Ah, there you go. That's an, actually technically so have we, so we can claim that. Uh, there you go. Congratulations. Handshakes all around. There we go. <laughs> and uh, speaking of shit TV, uh, Cabin Fever. Uh, yes, shit reality TV. Basically, a bunch of regular folk sail on a ship around Ireland and compete in challenges. However, 10 days into it, she sinks. Uh, the boat ran aground by Tory Ireland. Uh, the woman who Tory gives, Ireland. The woman who gives a hostage-like statement there at the start. Uh, <laughs> She's just shortening up the newspaper, like, fucking hell. 
It was so like off. But the fact that she kept looking off camera, yeah, they're really looking after something. People of Tory Island are treating us very well. I'd like to think you know Tory Island, like you know, there's a like I I'd say it like it's been like Pokemon or something like that. Like ever play Pokemon Red and Blue? It's like they're walking the high grass. Like it's like a wild Boris Johnson has appeared. Yeah, but what's mad is like she is looking off camera, looking very frightened, as if like crash landed on Tory Island. And when they got their bits together, like they're sitting on the beach and like, I don't know, a group of like owl lads in Aaron jumpers just started running at them with spears going. <laughs> like, <laughs> Sounds like Tories, all right. <laughs> yeah. This is um, like what drugs were the people oh. that came up with this show on? Like, this is crazy. Like, I get that the reality TV thing was in full bloom and Big Brother was huge. And it was like, get any reality TV show. We saw the Treasure Island last year and... But, like, why would you put them on a boat? Like, that's not even easy to film. You know, like, it's it's like, and they were obviously going to make a balls of sailing that around Ireland. That's a very difficult thing to do. Even, yeah. I mean, like, I'm so, like they should have, they should I hope Captain Tom was involved, but I suppose the boat didn't. <laughs> so probably wasn't. But, uh, like, this is just. That's all. Yeah, I don't understand. It was a big prize, 100 grand price. Like, yeah. was it worth nearly dying? I, I don't know. <laughs> well, the thing is, though, how did they win? Like, how did they decide who won? The boat sank. Yeah, it was just a, bo- a vote, but I don't understand. Like, what were you voting on? Were you voting on their sailing prowess, or like, was it like, oh, geez, Elaine did a great job uh, tying those knots, you know? So we give her, we give her a few votes. Like, how does but, it work? I, I, I love the fact that they had another boat just in standby in case the first one sank. <laughs> it, it was the they, they, saw that, like, they saw that pretty quickly. That was like, what are we, oh, there's another boat. Wait, what? Uh, Tom Tom cut his holiday short to bring the Genie Johnson <laughs> up, and they well, he was gone for that. six weeks. Oh, yeah. Sorry, there's a TV show I have to sort out. <laughs> He's um, do you know what? It, it's it's gas because the, the, the things you remember, and obviously we're coming into the years now where we're actually like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, because mm. I I remember uh, God, I was staying with my sister down in Cork, and she only had two channels on the telly, and RT two was one of them, and this was on uh, every Monday. I think it was Monday night before the panel, and um, I remember watching this, and yeah, the premise was basically obviously they'd sail around Ireland, um, but they would do challenges, at, so they would actually dock in certain locations. And you would go on to the mainland and do challenges. And I remember there was one contestant and I, for some bloody reason, remember his full name. It was David Yopley. And I think I remember it because of the fact that his name was a yogurt. Um, and he got he lost a challenge for his team because he was he was an American guy. But he lost the challenge for the team because one of the challenges was they docked. They got off the boat and they uh, had to do something in a local like uh uh, oh god like a local center where you have like a swimming pool and there might be a jungle gym all that kind of crack but he couldn't figure out how turnstiles worked so he <laughs> delayed them because he got stuck on the turnstile it was literally just one of those subway turnstiles where you know didding, 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 and he got stuck on it and uh, couldn't figure out how it worked and the challenge the, the team lost the challenge but that um that lady who won and the same lady who was the hostage like lady that's a uh, yeah that is Elaine uh, Elaine is from Waterford and mm. she won um, she got herself a nice job in the local radio station out of it. So, uh, very nice. Fair, fair play to Elaine. Present to Elaine. And fair play to the woman who finished running rope. I like the fact they announced the other woman's run. And the first person to the cheer was like her opponent, like, yes, go on. I was like, what a nice woman. I hope she did well afterward. Yeah, I did actually a nice notice, lady. I noticed that after they crash landed, uh, she had like exceedingly her curly hair, like, like very, <laughs> very curly hair. Uh, and I was like, I like her hair. So she seems like an all around nice person. Um, yes. 
And um, there's hope for the North as we see David Trimble read the cinema listings out to Jerry Adams. Um, a new deal, <laughs> a new deal involving IRA decommissioning, elections, and a power sharing agreement is on the table. However, there's controversy as uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. John de Chastain um, can't be too specific on the details of weapons disposal, and John Hume pumps the brakes on the whole thing. Uh, Jerry mm. says we played our part but the unionists haven't played theirs uh, this leaves Bertie and Tony B basically holding their bollocks and saying to the lads well if you can't play nice don't play at all uh, and then you see during the election campaign uh, so this is basically like if you bought West Side Story off of Wish uh, North Side Story <laughs> uh, <laughs> this, is the best, this is the best part of the whole episode by the way David Trimble <laughs> taunting Ian Paisley in the street he just appears behind them. It's like... There's something so, I don't know, <laughs> off-putting about so many problems each other at once. It's just very like, oh, shut up. Where's Jaffrey? Where's Jaffrey yeah. gone? It's, like, shut it's up. almost like the you scene in Anchorman, you know, where the other news channel That's shows it. up. That's exactly what it was like. Dorothy That's Mantis what it was like. And, and, you know, Jerry is like, you know, Ron Brugger is like, first through, we don't mention the Sinn Féin, of course. I'd say Jerry was <laughs> pissing himself deal. laughing. I'd say Jerry was pissing himself oh, laughing sorry, at this standoff between the UUP and the DUP. Uh, but I think the funniest part of the whole thing was they talk about the IRA decommission. You see Jerry reading the newspaper. Oliver Short was a caption called, nothing to do with me. Yeah. It's <laughs> fucking hilarious. Like just the image of David Trimble walking around the office holding a newspaper and Jerry sitting on the couch laughing. Like he's like reading them out the funnies. And the two of them are having a great time. Like this is hilarious. David Trimble and Jerry Adams getting on like a house on fire, but Trimble not getting on with the other unionists. Like this is just yeah. this is this is this, yeah, is, like, this is where we got you know the 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 shared uh, the shared ruling that we'd get over the next couple of years. This yeah. this this definitely came from El Trimby and Jerry having a laugh over the cartoons. But like, and I loved when Blair and Bertie walked in. Was almost like, oh, our parents are here. Right? Everyone's starting messing. Here come, <laughs> here come our parents. Because they're kind of watching them together, like, like here's what's going to happen. Is. But like, I love it's like, uh, you know, yeah, Trimble can't play nice with the with the unionists, but he can play nice with the Republicans. And it's like, David, are you sure you're not a Republican? Like, have another go at it and try. Would again. you not give the Republicanism <laughs> a little go, David? Come on, <laughs> might enjoy it. You yeah, know. you could grow a beard. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, none of these Protestants are allowed to grow beards, you know. I mean, Martin McGuinness is certainly trying, God help him, but this was just great. This was, this uh, what was really funny was be- Tony Blair and Bertie Heron. I've never seen two men with more inconvenience about being somewhere. It's like, yeah, right, here we are again. Yeah. We turned our back but, for one second, and here Blair- we are. Wants to cozy up to George Bush, then he gets called back to deal with fucking North again. Like he's like, I thought we sorted this. Nineteen ninety eight. Why the fuck are we back here? And Bertie's like, I'm trying to build roads here, lads. Will you come on? You can imagine it's just kind of flying the wall for Jerry Adams talking to Tony Blair. Oh, how's Iraq going? Right, hey, yeah. Remember, (laughs) you can't you you can't spell Iraq without IRA. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I know. Not the, yeah, yeah. yeah, not that I know that. My favorite bit of this whole thing, right? And there's so many good parts of this, but my favorite is Johnny Tightlips, John de Chastelain. Yeah. Uh, just going, oh, yeah, no, no, I, I saw the IRA uh, decommission, but I couldn't tell you anything about it now. Couldn't tell you anything about it. Jesus, no. no, 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 no. In my place, like you're literally there to witness it. It's your job to report back. I ah, know, I 
up and say anything about that now. Not at all. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. It happened all, all right. I can say is that, that, that there were nobody in the room. There was nobody in the room called Jerry. And you see like a yeah. little thumbs up coming yeah, off yeah. the screen. Nice, nice one. Like Let's the, call him Mr. Adams. No, wait, that's too obvious. Let's call him Jerry A. He was there. Uh, <laughs> it's like, like, the, the Jerry with a J. The Raz there with a load of AKs and like a sleeping bag dumping into a bin and the Chastain is there. What you got there? Uh, beanie babies. <laughs> it's like, it's, like, it's but it's because like his job was to report on it. This is what's so funny. Like it's like John, we're sending you in there. You're gonna watch what happens. And you're gonna report back. You're gonna tell us what happens so we can move the peace process on. Gotcha. Okay, John, you've been to see the decommissioning. What happened? I ain't saying nothing. It's almost like on Gillette Soccer Saturday when Chris Kamara missed a red card. Yes. And now was the IRA being decommissioned. But for who, Chris? I don't know, Jeff. Has it? <laughs> I don't know, Jerry. Has according, to, according to our sources, Jerry Adams was in the building. Yeah, you're right. I seen him come in, but I thought he was just using the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, did they, so did they decommission the weapons? I don't know. Well, what will I tell Bertie and Tony? Tell them to go suck a lemon. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally the, uh, it was hilarious. It was literally the definition of you had one job. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's literally your job. That's what happened. It's like that guy, it's like the guy from the UN, they paid all that money to Hans Blitz. They went looking for weapons in Iraq. He came back empty handed. They were like, we paid you this money for six years. You got nothing. Like, oh, well. You know, it's like we, we we literally commissioned you to see oversee the decommissioning of weapons, and now you're saying that it happened, but you have no proof. <laughs> uh, oh my god! Like Could you saying, imagine? <laughs> That's why probably why Jerry Adams was laughing. Jerry John the Christie's coming over. Hey, is he? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Uh, um, and uh, on the Late Late Show, Pat informs us that of all of our accomplishments, well, none of it matters because Rosanna Davison wins Miss World. Uh, Chris DeBarn's yeah. daughter is crowned the most beautiful woman in the world, beating out all the lovely, all the other lovely girls in the Lovely Girls contest. Um, <laughs> and by the way, Pat Kenny, who sounded so unenthusiastic, oh yes, we won something else. <laughs> it's like, what happened? You but mean we're actually covering this? Yeah. Like, Does it, this competition he, still exist? Really wanted it. He had to compete with Eamon Dunphy, remember? Eamon, Eamon probably actually had the winner of like the Boris Ali Lovely Girls competition. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, coming up tonight on the show, it's the Rosa Trillian winner from 1948. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> the, but you know, it, it does actually exist uh, still because I, well, was it? Up, yeah, because they remember the, um, the whole thing with Steve Harvey and he, uh, he, um, oh, yes, he announced, yeah, the, wrong he announced the wrong person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I remember this year, Rosanna Davison won it. Um, Jackie Chan was the host because it was in. Yeah, it was in China. It was in China. Yeah, oh. Jackie Chan was the host because this. Do you know what? It's mad. There are two things that I distinctly remember actually being there. Actually, sorry, three things that I distinctly remember looking, particularly looking up from what I was doing and seeing this happen live. One was Rosanna Davison winning Miss World. So I remember seeing mm -hmm. Jackie Chan on stage announcing it when it was broadcast over here. Uh, the second being the time that priest ran out in front of that Brazilian runner in the marathon and pushed him off. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and the third being watching Liverpool make a 3-0 comeback in Istanbul. Um, those three things I was looking down and I looked up and this was happening. I was like, oh, let's watch this. Um, yeah, I remember Jackie Chan mm -hmm. announcing and it was like, it was just on in the background and I looked up and I was like, oh, look, there's Miss World. And then he was like, yeah, winner, uh, Miss Ireland, Rosanna Davison. I was like, what? 
And uh, yeah, from that day on, the Irish Indo had like no uh, limit to the models that they could get for uh, yes. whatever they were posing. This spawned the era of the model, uh, the, the, the model in Dublin, those pictures that are now legendary. I actually, I wonder, is there a Twitter page? It might come back next week. Um, this, but this is hilarious. She parades her tiny eyebrows and giant crown around the streets of Dublin her for all to see. Yeah, you know, yeah, she's got the proper like mid-2000s plucked eyebrows. Was this are? what started the trend as well of like all of the, or was it already in one of the previous episodes of, you know, all the girls, because you see it all the time, because I used to go to college in town years ago, you'd always see all like the models, like just, you know, walk around Grab Street in their bikinis, modeling and stuff, but this is just like a regular kind of everyday occurrence at the time, it was crazy. Yeah, you'd often open the Sunday Independent, like, and it would just be, like, advertising fucking shit, like, like, is it? yeah. Why, why is there a half-naked woman walking down Grass Street holding a sign for Price Waterhouse Cooper? Like, you know what I mean? And and why is there, like, like there's there's George, or there's uh, Keith Wood. Like, you know what I mean? Just a woman there and a model. Uh, yeah. Which just made no sense. A lovely girl. Lovely girl. But you're right, her fucking crown was massive. Could they not have given her, like, a little tiara or something? Uh, but don't forget now, they all have lovely crowns. They do. You're right. Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, oh, God. Speaking of lovely girls, Bertie's daughter marries your man from Westlife in France. Mm. Media surround the town looking for photos of the two. Uh, the photos are sold to Hello magazine, which would probably get you about 10 euros nowadays. Uh, remember when that was a thing? Uh, one yep. local from the village where they wed says, uh, oh, she is a daughter of a first minister and he is, a, I don't know, a worker. Um, other ladies are asked if they've ever heard of Westlife, to which they simply say in French, nah. Yeah, yeah. I love the fact nobody cared. Like, it was all over <laughs> Hello Magazine. You saw all the Irish lads, like, in East is like looking at Hello Magazine. Like, this was, you know, front page everywhere. Whereas, you know, the French were just like, who? Yeah, I think like that's the thing because what what you would think here is that like I mean Nikki Byrne was obviously more famous than her. She had a, her dad was famous, but didn't, nobody really knew her. She was the daughter of Bertie Hearn. But over in France, nobody knew Nikki Byrne, so everyone was like, "Oh, it's the prime the Irish prime minister's daughter." Like that's why it's a big deal. And it's like, well, no, actually, he's a pretty big pop star. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was just all very it was very tacky of the era. These kind of weddings, mm, I feel like yeah. these celebrity weddings. Um, you know, uh, uh, granted, I would. I've expected them to go up and do a Daniel O'Donnell and get married in the rain in Donegal, but like you know, uh, which we saw last week. But you know, um, this was very like it was just tacky. And then they see the picture, and he's wearing a white suit, and you know, it's all very just of the era that celebrity, uh, that celebrity oh, yeah. era that they had. You know, I blame the Beckhams. I'm sorry, RTE you know absolutely, but RTE you know better for sending an actual reporter out there. And Tony Connolly is a serious reporter. He like covers the EU for them now. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, they mm. uh, and they so, sent him out there to ask Fred bored French teenagers if they ever heard of Westlife. And his French was very good though, I'm giving that. Yeah, definitely learned that. Like, well, that's probably why he went to be fair because I don't think anyone spoke English in this town. No, <laughs> uh, even, even the guy who did speak English was struggling. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> the only words were no, I don't, I don't know who these people are. Yeah, what is going on? My, my, I do appreciate Brian McFadden though going through the trouble of dyeing his hair, uh, to uh, you know, to to to, to go to the wedding. 
well, I mean, probably undying it, I suppose. He's always had the bleach blonde look, and now he's just like pure brown. Um, and yeah, a lot of dodgy haircuts from, from Westlife there. Um, and uh, before we close out then, so that's going to bring 2003 to a close. Uh, before we leave, however, we always do this, so we're going to do it again. So uh, we go around and ask if you were to bring any three people from tonight's episode to a dinner party, who would they be and why? So uh, I'm going to start with Alex this week. So if you pick any three people from tonight's episode to bring to a dinner party, who would they be and why? I think this week uh, is actually, yeah, I kind of happened straight away. Um, I think first off, uh, because I'm going to see you with this because you're on the show, you're going to bring Aaron Schwarzenegger. Like, there's no two ways about that. You're 100% bringing Aaron Schwarzenegger. Um, I think the second person I would bring would be Captain Tom. <laughs> you might have sailed over the foundation. I think I'd 100% bring him. He sounds amazing because he, he can tell me all about his whimsical adventures in the Canary Islands. <laughs> and uh, the third person, you know, I think, I'm, I don't know if, remember if I brought him last time, but I'm going to bring him this time again just in case. I'm going to bring Jerry Adams. Bring <laughs> Jerry Adams and Arnold Schwarzenegger to listen to this conversation with Captain Tom. No, that would be an incoherent conversation, Jerry Adams and Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> sure, <it> would. <laughs> so, uh, Simon, if you were to pick three guests, who would it be and why? Um, I am going. Okay, so I I agree with Alex. You got to bring Captain Tom. Any man who can just decide that uh, what should be, I think, a relatively short journey, even in a famine ship, uh, from Ireland to America. <laughs> to take a detour via the Canaries to get a bit of a tan and say, they'll wait, they'll wait for me uh, and take eight weeks to get there. Got to bring them along. Uh, so Captain Tom's in. I'm going to bring Johnny Tightlips from the from the decommissioning. Yeah. Uh, John de Chastain, John de Chastain. <laughs> uh, just purely for the character we've kind of created for him uh, more than the actual what he might have been. Fair. We don't really get to see what he might have been. But uh, that'd be hilarious. I have so many questions. Not that he'd give me any info, but I have so many questions about what he saw. Which is like the order, um, John. I ain't saying nothing. Yeah, and then, you know the only other option from that scene was you, you've gone for Jerry. My only other option was to bring all of the unionists from the standoff, and that's way too many unionists. Yeah. For me. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll leave them. We'll bring Johnny Tightlips, right? And then uh, and then the third person I'm going to bring is Rosanna Davidson. Now, not and I have in the past brought uh, lovely girls because of their lovely girlness, and absolutely Rosanna Davidson is a beautiful woman. But she actually um, nowadays is a really prominent uh, voice on um, the difficulties of uh, when uh, of not being able to conceive children naturally. Oh, um, okay, and right. that's something that a lot of people don't talk about. A lot of people go through miscarriages and, and difficult yeah. uh, scenarios and not being able to conceive and trouble conceiving and IVF and all mm. the rest. And she and her husband have gone on a massive journey. They now have three kids um, through surrogacy. Um, and she is a really prominent voice on social media on that, uh, which is pretty cool. So I would get Rosanna Davis. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, fair play to her. Um, yeah, now, if I was to pick my three, I, I did actually, without knowing the whole surrogacy thing and, and uh, voice of the IVF and the whole lot of Rosanna Davison, I actually just picked Rosanna Davison. Reason being, uh, because I always, you know, obviously the lovely girl issue, but uh, I always just found her like, in interviews and stuff just to be kind of down to earth so she actually just seems like a decent enough human being yeah. um, and then I would pick uh, Mickey Joe Hart and Mickey Hart the Tyrone manager because I'd love to just sit there and go lads in the gas you both have the same name because <laughs> we did get a shot of Mickey Hart of the, the bus when Tyrone were put we did yeah we did I got a shot of the back of his head so I'll take that 
Um, so with that, folks, we are just about out of here. So if you want to follow everything that we are doing, uh, we always post on Twitter. So be sure to follow us there at R-I-Y-E podcast. Um, so before we go, I just want to say a huge, huge thank you for coming back and what a return it has been. I know we took a two week break in the middle, but hey, good things come to those who wait. So thank you very much, Mr. Alex J. Byrne, for joining us again this week. Hey, no worries, guys. That was a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me back. Anytime. Uh, and as always, thank you very much to Mr. Simon Chadwick. Thank you, Kieran. A pleasure to be back after a brief hiatus. It certainly has. Um, and to those of you listening, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be back regularly. We, ha- we do have to take a, a, you know, a couple of breaks here and there, but not as long as it has been before. Um, most important one being the 4th of March, because I will be turning 30 the following day, and I'll be spending that weekend just crying in a corner. Um, so be sure... Yeah, we're all here for you, Karen. We're all here for you. Yeah, we are, man. I did it last August, and uh, it's an interesting one. I think just before we go... The big thing for me wasn't like turning 30. I wasn't like, oh, God, I'm 30. My whole mind was, oh, God, I'm 40 in 10 years. What the hell is going on? Yeah, I got suitably chastised earlier by a load of women in work who, who turned around and said, try being 40. And then somebody went, try being 50. And then it just kept going up. Uh, so I didn't feel so <laughs> bad. Um, but yes, absolutely. If you want to keep up with what we're doing, as I said, follow us on Twitter at R-I-Y-E podcast. Every episode launching every Saturday at 8 p.m. We'll be back next week with a brand new, technically not new, but we'll leave that surprise till next week guest. Um, so for all of us here, have a great weekend as always, and as always, keep on See, I don't know why I liked you so much. I gave you all of my trust. I told you I loved you. Now that's all down the drain. You put me through the pain. I wanna let you know that I feel what I said. You told me now All the presents might as well throw them out All the kisses it didn't mean jam And I don't want you back